Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. When a loved one goes to be with the Lord and that person is a Christian, first of all, the Bible teaches that Christians don't die. Am I right about it? Christians. Christians don't die. We fall asleep. Christians don't die. We change addresses. We go from here to there. We change addresses. So when a Christian falls asleep, the Bible says, here's a memory verse for you, Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord. Anybody know the rest? Is the death of his saints. Write that down, Psalm 116.15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. If we knew what that meant, we would rejoice. And think for a moment, when a Christian dies, again, they step out of something and they step into something. They step out of this earthly torn up, worn down, disease-infested, raggedy body, and they step into the presence of the Lord. They step into heaven. When a believer goes to sleep, they step out of something and step into something else. Y'all, I am from the old school, and color me crazy, but I still believe in heaven. Where are my people at? I believe there's a real heaven. Am I right about it? I believe there's a real heaven. And I believe there's a real hell. And when you step into heaven, when you go to sleep, see, if we knew these things, we would rejoice. If we had this understanding in our hearts, we would rejoice. When we go to sleep in the Lord, we step into the presence of God, and there we find ourselves standing at the throne of God. And think about that. Think about What that loved one, I tried to tell Roger and his family and friends, what Dorothy, at the time that we were having the funeral, what Dorothy was seeing at that moment. The Bible teaches that in heaven, at the throne of God, there's a beautiful light show of colors of jasper and diamonds and red rubies and emerald green emanating from around the throne of God and there's no more sickness. Can I get a witness here? There's no more sickness and no more sadness and no more sorrow and no more doctors and no more pain pills and no more breathing machines. As they were telling me, they had to have the breathing machine. They had to heat up the water and give her hot water, tea, hot tea, to, and take the hot tea and get the suction machine to get the hot water out the cup 
the hot water down her throat so it could break up the mucus and then take another tube and take that and, and, and put it down her throat to suck out the mucus. Don't y'all understand there's no breathing machines and suction machines in heaven. Anybody glad about that? No breathing machines and suction machines in heaven. No more constantly turning them over from the bed sores. They call it the cubitus ulcers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You lay in the bed for so long, and if your if your skin um, uh, lays against anything for too long, you, you'll start to develop an ulcer, and that ulcer can get so bad that it turns into an infection, and so. They, it would turn you off. And nowadays they've got all these fancy beds that move and the mattress moves around so your body doesn't, you know, stay in the same position at the same pressure point for, for that long. But they had to turn her over. No more of all of that in heaven. Revelation 21.4 tells us, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And saints, you know, I always tell you, the best thing about heaven, the best thing about heaven is not the, 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 the pearly gates, the walls of Jasper too. The, the, the beautiful colors, that's not the best thing about heaven. Peter standing at the gate, that ain't the best thing about heaven because y'all know Peter going to be at the gate. Y'all know, if P, y'all know every, every story you hear, it's like, hey, did you hear the one about Peter at the pearly gates? <laughs> Look, if Peter ain't at them gates, I'm going to be disappointed. I'll be walking around, where's Peter? Where's Peter? I heard about Peter. I mean, he ain't about Peter for 54 years. Where's Peter? I tell you, the best thing, and maybe somebody can say amen to this, the best thing about heaven is that God is there. That's the best thing about heaven, that God is there. Wherever, you've heard me say this before, wherever God is, that's heaven. If God were at the super Walmart, that's heaven. Are you with me? Because wherever God is, there's heaven. And if we only knew that, we would rejoice. Roger had this strange peace. I've seen that before in many Christians, and we should have, because Christians, we have the hope of heaven. We know that when a loved one dies, they go to be with the Lord, and we don't sorrow as the world. So are you listening? We don't. So- are you listening? We don't sorrow as the world sorrows. We don't grieve like the world grieves because we have the hope that one day, if you know Jesus Christ, you too will step out of something into something else. You'll step into the presence of the Lord. You have that hope. And Roger had that. He had that straight. He had a very strange peace. We had a funeral service on, or I call it a going home or a celebration service on Thursday night. And then Friday morning, I'd never done one of these, but I did this time. Friday morning, 8 o'clock, we had the committal service. And, uh, you know, that's where you uh, put, put uh, the body in the ground. And you refer to it as the body because that body is not Dorothy. That loved one that you put in the ground, that's not your loved one. That's not your auntie. That's not your uncle. That's not your mama. That's not your daddy. That, that's not them. That's the body that they lived in. 
That where they are, if they knew the Lord, they're in the presence of the Lord. And the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So when that body goes in the ground, that's just a temple. It's just a tabernacle. It's just a dwelling place. It's just a temporary dwelling place for, your, for the real you to live. You're not looking at me. Y'all looking at me like I'm not? <laughs> no, you're not. Looking at me, the real me is my spirit, is my soul. You're looking at the body that my soul is living in. The body. It's wearing down fast. But it's all I got. Where my people at? It's all we got. Work with what you got. Amen. We put that body in the ground. There was a strange confidence and a peace about Roger. And I think that Roger knew, as we all should know, if we only knew what awaits us on the other side, we would rejoice. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. Did y'all get that? And, and, and I shared with the family that Dorothy, I honestly, if she had a choice to come back to this earth, I don't think she would. She'd probably say, I love y'all. But peace out. <laughs> peace. Like, oh, I want her back here. Yeah, well, she don't want to come back. And I told y'all, Pastor Rodney dies, one of y'all holy, sanctified, spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, Christians come up and try to pray me back to life. I told you, if I come back, I'm going to punch you in the head. If I come back, I'm write that down. If I come back, I'm, I'm punching the head. I'm be like, oh Lord, bring him back, Lord. We need him, Lord Jesus. Bring him back, God. Shanda Bobo. I'm gonna come back and go. Boom. Of course, I got a bad arm, so I'll be like, come close, come close. Because I don't want to be here. Somebody clap your hands and say, me neither. No, we don't want to be here. Who wants to be here? Want to be in the presence of the Lord. The disciples were finding it difficult to rejoice because they could only think of what Jesus going away meant to them. Y'all get me? They never thought about what going away meant meant to Jesus. Jesus said, y'all pray for me. Jesus said, if you love me, you will rejoice because I said, I go to the Father. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Write this in your margins. Verse 28. Verse 28. Verse 28 is a reference to exaltation. Write that in your margins. Exaltation. In other words, if you really love me, Jesus said, you would want to rejoice because I'm going to be exalted. And I'm going home to my father in heaven. I took on the role of a servant. I laid down my glory and all of my rights as God. Think about it. From God to servant. Think about that. From God to servant. From heaven to earth. That's a real step down, y'all. That's like going from the hood to carry. 
That's what I think about. The hood to carry. I mean, that's a real step down. Jesus goes from God to a servant, from heaven to earth. Jesus says, now I'm going back to the one I serve to be rewarded and exalted and glorified because I finished the work. And notice in John, go go with me real quick, y'all. John chapter 17. Just go over one, uh, two, two chapters there. Look at chapter 17. Jesus said the exact same thing in verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4, John 17, 4 and 5. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work, see it, which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. If the disciples had really loved him, they would rejoice that he was leaving because his person would be dignified. He would enter back into the presence of God. The humiliation he experienced on earth is over. The suffering he experienced is over. The hatred of man that he experienced is over. The hate of those he loved is almost over and death was going to be the means for the release from all of this if they loved him they'd be happy for this point number two the cross meant the truth would be documented verse 29 look at it not only that his person would be dignified but his truth would be documented now i've told you verse 29 before it comes y'all see that that when it comes to pass you may believe verse 30 i will no longer talk much with you jesus is saying i'm going to die I'm going to go back to the Father so that everything I said to you, you will see come to pass. I'm not going to say much anymore. Now it's time to show you. Jesus is saying it's time to be quiet and let my words play out. Now listen, saints, look at me. One of the many things, uh, one of the primary things I might even say, that separates the Christian faith from every other, every other world religion and religious system is this thing we call prophecy. Do you understand this book that you're holding in your hand is over half predictive? Over half this book is predictive. The Bible has so much to say about prophecy. And I think for one sole purpose, and that's so that you and I will know who's in charge. Uh huh. Satan's not in charge. Somebody say amen. Pilate's not in charge. Herod's not in charge. The Jews are not in charge. The soldiers are not in charge. You are not in charge. The Father is in charge. And he proves that with the prophetic. Only a book written by God himself can tell the beginning from the end. From the very beginning, when Jesus came to the earth, he prophesied, destroyed this temple, and in three days he would, what, saints? Raise it up again. He was talking about the temple of his body, yes? Not Jerusalem's temple. He told them, I'll die, and then I'll rise. He promised to send the Spirit of God. He promised to send the Comforter. He promised them the resurrection. And now Jesus says, I'm done talking. It's time for action. I'm going to the Father, and now it's time for all this truth to be documented. Prophecy isn't for the benefit of God. It's for the benefit of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, write that down. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. This means that we have a more solid word. We have a more certain word of prophecy so that when 
they come to pass, we know it's God. Prophecies written about Jesus. Are you listening? 700 to 1,000 years before he was even born. Prophecies like Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. When Messiah comes, he will have a forerunner announcing his coming. And that will be John the Baptist. Zechariah 9 9. When the Messiah comes, he's coming in on a donkey. These are all prophecies. Are y'all with me? Zechariah eleven twelve says the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And that prophecy goes on to say the 30 pieces of silver will be gathered up and used to buy a field that was owned by a guy who makes pots, a potter. Isaiah 53, 7 says when the Messiah comes, he's going to come and be indicted and tried on false charges, but he will not open up his mouth to defend himself. These are just a few prophecies. Jesus, listen, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Over 300 prophecies. Listen to this. I read this some time ago. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros after it. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling 16 of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. That's one with 45 zeros after it. The statistical probability of a man fulfilling 48 of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. That's one with 157 zeros after it. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling 300 prophecies, the number is incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. Prophecy is the greatest proof of the validity of the Bible. I think of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. You see that? And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows the end of something well before it had a beginning. Did y'all hear that? God knows the end of something well before it had a beginning. Jesus said he would die and he did. He said he'd be lifted up and he was. He said he would rise and he did. He said he would go to the Father, and he did. He said he would send the Holy Spirit, and he did. He promised salvation and eternal life, and he gave it. He promised a supernatural union with the believer, and that's what happened. He promised a resident truth teacher in every Christian, and there is. a promise. He promised peace and joy and love and everything else, and it's ours in him. In other words, Jesus says, you're going to see all this come to pass. And the fact that the disciples knew this, they should have been rubbing their hands together in anticipation of what was going to happen. Jesus says, no more talking. Now it's time for action. Point number three, the cross meant Jesus' enemies would be defeated. Look at verse 30. In a sense, Jesus couldn't wait to go to the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus gave a crushing blow to Satan. In verse 30, the ruler of this world is coming. Are you looking at verse 30? The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing to do with me. 
or there was no foothold of sin in the life of Jesus. It could read, he has no hold on me, no claim on me, no power over me. Jesus is saying there's going to be a conflict between me and the devil. Somebody once called it the most terrible power clash in all of history, the death grapple in darkness. And because there's no foothold of sin in Jesus' life, victory is certain. Jesus will go to the cross and finally deal with sin once and for all. Do you understand, listen, that Satan has been trying to keep Jesus from the cross from the beginning of time? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In the world of theology, here's your word for the day. In the world of theology, this verse is called um, Proto-Evangelicum. Proto-Evangelicum. It refers to the first cosmic struggle. And God will triumph over Satan. It's the first good news. Proto-Evangelicum. It's the first good news. It's the first place where the gospel is mentioned. And it's mentioned in the context of Satan trying to undermine the coming of Jesus and ultimately Jesus going to the cross. Satan has always tried to prevent and hinder Jesus going from, to the cross. You know, Matthew chapter 16. Peter tried to hinder Jesus from the cross, and Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're not concerned with the things of God. Historically, people have tried to destroy the Jew, all to keep Jesus from going to the cross. 4,000 years ago, Pharaoh tried to wipe them out. Haman made his gallows. Herod tried to butcher and kill all the babies. Hitler tried to exterminate them. The devil shot every gun he had at Jesus and couldn't kill him. Can somebody say amen? The disciples should have rejoiced when Jesus went to the cross because that's what he came to do. The cross wasn't a defeat. It was a great victory. Somebody once said when Jesus died on the cross, hell was holding a high carnival. When Jesus died on the cross, someone said, when Jesus died on the cross, hell was holding a high carnival. They thought they'd won. But how many of you know, and maybe I can get a witness in this house, how many of you know, three days later, everything changed? Just three days. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Somebody say amen. And we need to understand that Jesus has gotten the victory. Watch this. Jesus, had, we talk about Jesus had gotten the victory when he rose from the grave. I say to you, that's true. But I also tell you that Jesus got the victory before he rose from the grave. He got the victory even while he was dead. Because the Bible teaches while he was in the grave for three days, he descended into the lower parts and he proclaimed liberty to the captives. Colossians chapter 2, you take your notes, write it down. Colossians 2, 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Ephesians 4 tells us he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He did all this while he was in the grave. So there was no victory for the enemy. If you've been here at Calvary Chapel, you know I love this poem. John Doan's awesome words of victory over death. Death be not proud, though some have called thee. Mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. 
For those whom thou doest think to overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me. I love that. And this is the great hope of the believer. Throughout all the ages, death has no power over us. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says death will experience his own death. Interesting. Death will experience his own death. When death is thrown in a lake of fire, read the book of Revelation. Death. Did y'all hear me? Death will experience his own death when death is thrown into the lake of fire. The cross was not a failure. It was a great victory over the enemy. Somebody clap your hands and say amen right there, will you? Jesus' death meant his person was dignified. His truth was documented. His enemy is defeated. And finally, number four, the cross meant Jesus' love was demonstrated in verse 31. Look at verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. The world may know that I love the Father. Stop right there. You know, we don't think about that very much, do we? You know, the cross is a great statement of Jesus' love for us, yes. But the cross is also a great statement of Jesus' love for the Father. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.